Hello, everybody, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Q-Tip, the podcast by the regulatory consulting firm Corsus. I am very, very excited today to be joined by not one, not two, but three technological wizards uh, in our in our midst we have today. Uh, we've got Keith, who has been on before, and we're also very happy to be joined today by Jason Bugas and Gerald Dunn. How is uh, how's everyone doing today? Oh well, yes. Very good, good thanks. Yeah. And um, so we've Keith, we've heard plenty from you before. I mean, we had a whole podcast to hear about uh, your thoughts on cryptocurrency, which I do encourage everyone to go and uh, give a listen to. Um, but Gerald and Jason, if you wouldn't mind giving sort of a brief introduction into your uh, into your careers, if uh, Jason, why don't we start with you? Sure, thanks. Um, I've been uh, working about uh, 20 odd years as a contractor covering reporting and business intelligence tools, primarily focusing on the Microsoft stacks, so I think like analysis services, reporting services, and SQL Server. And until the last few years, that was predominantly um, on-premises, but increasingly I've been moving across into the cloud-based offerings and um, exploring that, which is obviously relevant to the topic that we'll be discussing today. And uh, it's been uh, a good opportunity at courses to really delve into a lot of these issues in a lot more depth. So it's, uh, looking forward to chatting through some of those things today. And uh, Gerald, how about you? So I would describe myself as an aspiring technology expert because I've been, you know, uh, undergoing a journey for for many years now from a non-technical background, uh, financial services, accounting, that sort of thing. But into a you know ever more increasing technology space, working in technology departments in non-expert technology roles like project management and business analysis, but more and more recognizing the need to actually become a practitioner in these tools, and that, and I think that's you know I'm, I'm in some ways a an ideal candidate for this low-code uh, uh, journey because it's the sort of skills and sort of capabilities that I've been looking to acquire over, over many years. Yeah, so um, uh, the guys have sort of teased uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so today we are going to be talking about low code and what what low code is and low code's application possibly in uh, the financial services industry. And I mean, it might surprise you to know that I'm not an expert in this field. So um someone could just start off as if I didn't already know, what what exactly is low-code technology? Should, should I try? Uh, yeah, go for it. I think obviously everyone's aware of the application development process that uh, companies of all kinds have been challenged with over the years. You're building applications in order to satisfy business need. Now, going back many years, there's always been a desire to do this quicker, better, faster. And the origins of some of this come in, some of the discussions of third and fourth generation programming languages, you know, the idea that programming languages could almost write, write themselves or write their own code. But I think more recently, there's been an idea of how to put this more into the hands of 
individual users and insulate them from needing to know that coding detail, that you know, that ability to write scripts that will uh, that, that will control applications. So low code to me is a set of tools uh, that insulate you from that technical detail and just focus uh, the attention more on you inputting what the application will need to do, not how it does it, but clicking and dragging and uh, using wizards and recording macros and that sort of thing to just focus on the, 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 the business functionality of the tool rather than the you know needing to understand the execution that's that's my understanding of low code yeah and, and uh, so i actually agree jed um one of the things i find interesting as well though is when uh you talk to users or clients who always seem very keen on low code uh solutions and you ask them why what is it you are expecting to get from a low code uh, solution to your, your business problem and I think that's quite difficult often for them to pin down you know, are they expecting quicker delivery are they expecting yeah to be honest sometimes it feels like they're just expecting not to deal with those awkward people in technology so I think again low code is one of those um, terms like uh, cryptocurrency to, to hark back to the previous podcast that people bandy around without actually thinking about what do I actually mean by low code and what do I actually expect to get from a low code solution? Yeah, no, that uh, reminds me a lot of uh, our discussion, again, to hark back to the cryptocurrency episode of the uh, blockchain technology and people trying to perhaps find a solution when there may not be a problem or trying to find a solution to a problem they can't actually define. Would that, uh, would that be correct in sometimes how low code has been used? just as a blanket statement? Well, well, from my perspective, I think it's slightly different. It's not that we've got a tool we're trying to look for a problem to solve. It's that, um, yeah, I think the, the, the low-code tools definitely have a, a, a good place and a role to play in delivery of software. It's more that sometimes the people who are saying, oh, let's go to low-code or let's use a low-code tool don't really understand why they think that's the right answer. So it's more, it, it's kind of heard as a bit of a buzzword, perhaps. And then yes. people think, ah, oh, that's uh, that's in the zeitgeist. Uh, let's just, let's use that without really understanding the uh, the sort of functionalities and the benefits that it could bring. Yes, yeah. Okay, so um, in that in that example, what, what kind of has it actually been used for then? And uh, I don't know if any of, any of you three have any experience of, Sort of seeing it used successfully throughout your career or maybe in the news recently? Well, I think if, if you're talking about no code, then you have to probably be realistic that it's unlikely that a no code solution will be a kind of universal tool to build any application you want. Uh, no code solutions tend to be pointed at domain specific problems and, and I think a, a great example is just website design you know a few years ago if you wanted to build a website the chances are you you would have to be writing in html or javascript or you know you'd need some kind of coding skill whereas now there's a lot of services which offer no code 
templates that you can you know log on to the web solution you can choose a type of website that you want and then all you're focused on is providing the content in you know that that template will then turn into a website and i know adam that, that's the sort of thing you 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 have practitioner experience of in the building of of websites so that i think that's a you know very basic example of a domain specific no code solution that uh, that is now become very common yeah i i agree with that and having uh, first hand experience of setting up my own company website using uh, tools that are provided by my um, web hosting company. I was up and running with the basic website within a couple of, you know, a few hours. And um, as a small business owner, obviously you've had a cost advantage to me there, uh, reducing the, the setup cost, not having to spend a few thousand engaging somebody to get a uh, site up and running. So even from a from a small one-person operation, it's uh, there's obviously advantages to having these tools available. Yeah, that's quite interesting because I think a lot of people will be familiar with those kinds of, uh, especially those website, uh, those easy, uh, easy to do DIY website um, tools that you guys are talking about. You see advertisements for them on TV quite a lot, like uh, Wix, I know, is one I've seen quite a lot. And there are now uh, there are now services that will allow you to set up your own online store. Is that kind of that kind of a similar thing then? Well, well, that's. I think that's a great example because once you've got that uh, starting point, you can plug in additional functionality. And there's all sorts of features that you could then uh, click and drag into your website, depending on what kind of website you wanted it to be. If you wanted it to be a blog, you know, a content provider, then there'd be low-code uh, features that you could drag in. Or if you wanted it to be a, some kind of shopping site, then you could, you know, drag in that kind of functionality and you know that, that extends into analytics that if if you want analytical capabilities like ai and pattern recognition and that sort of thing then again there's all sorts of functions and services that you can drag in in a very you know a very user-friendly way now hey so um we sort of discussed some of the the applications that people might have heard of let's uh let's go back to Back to basics again. Pretend, pretend I didn't already know this. Like you're explaining it to to an idiot. Um, how how did we get here? How did we get to this stage where these applications are so readily available? Or so sorry, how do we get to the stage where the application of this technology is so readily available that we're seeing advertisements for it on a on our sort of everyday TV? I, I think it's interesting. You you might well get. A different answers from Jason, Jed and from myself, you know, whereas most of my career also did actually start off as a practicing technologist, have been around managing technology. Uh, one of the things I've seen that as um, uh, many businesses and, and financial services in particular have really become more and more um, technology driven, there's been a huge demand for technology skills and therefore um there's been a demand to say well actually can we get more of the bits of the software delivery process done by non-technology specialists so yeah actually getting to becoming a skilled developer um is actually a lengthy process it's a profession it's a skill like any other um and trying to meet the demand of the desire to become more automated more 
uh, straight through processing in quite complex business processes like investment banking. Um, I, I think part of the drive has been how can we get more of this process done by non non professionals, non technology professionals. Yeah, I think um, probably the biggest part of it is around the difficulty of actually uh, successfully implementing IT projects. Um, I think sometimes the disconnect between the end users and the complicated project management process, develop, development processes, and the number of round trips you have to make between the people with the requirements and the people doing the development and interfacing with project teams. Sometimes you lose so much of the the detail and the, the real functionality people are after that they just think, well, I just want to do it myself. And I think that has also helped to drive this adoption of, of low code and um, the clicky clicky drag, I think they call it um, technologies, because if you can just, it's sometimes very hard to articulate what you want. But if you can have a go at uh, developing the, the end result itself, uh, it's much easier maybe to, to uh, get what you want and perhaps get there quicker. Mm. I, I think all of those things are right. I, I think there's no doubt that, that you know all companies are going through a digital transformation. It's, it's a hackneyed buzzword, but you know what it means to me is even in you know, areas that have traditionally been very technology focused like banking, the, the scope of the applications is growing. It's not just platforms that help banks process your customers uh, transactions it's actually putting that capability in the hands of the customer through mobile apps etc and this you know this has been a massive de growth in demand for technology the skill shortage that, that Keith alludes to you know uh, that as demand grows up goes up obviously you, you're going to want more and more people to to de deliver but again, going back to my background, of, of there's lots of people working in practitioner operational uh, jobs who just want their hands on some of this stuff to, to build it themselves, to solve day-to-day -day problems. And then, you know, have in the past used that as the basis of the requirements for a, for a more professional solution. So I think that low and no code uh, paradigms just try and make that more integrated. It's trying to put the, the tools in the hands of the users from day one and then ultimately as they transition to more robust and scalable acti uh, 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 platforms then that's a much more uh, smooth process because you're all focusing on uh, augmenting the same the same technology platform yeah no that makes sense so sort of the 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 combination of the need for increased uh would you say increased user capability with technology combined with the proliferation of said technologies and it's becoming fundamental to pretty much every business going now and i think uh we can all attest to the fact that it's become even more important over the past uh past year and a half um do you think this uh, this sort of demand for these kind of technologies would have been uh, would have sped up in a way um, since the start of the pandemic as people have moved to uh, move to a sort of more remote working environment and there's uh, less less need for in-person premises. I, I think that's absolutely inarguable. Uh, 
we've been thinking and talking about this for several years now, thinking this big wave will come. You know, that uh, if you go back even before the pandemic, there was all sorts of study about automation and uh, what jobs would look like in three, five, ten years. But but I think that's just been accelerated, you know, and, you know, so quickly by the pandemic that more and more, just not not just the remote working, but the need for collaboration. Probably just more people spending more time in front of PCs and thinking about you know how to get the best out of them. I, I think the, the, it's accelerated beyond belief. One interesting thing there, thinking about um, Jason's comment about um, you know the, the users of, of an application wanting to get closer to the delivery and, and do it themselves. Yeah, the um, I think remote working has uh, accelerated that because in the uh, when we're all together in the office yeah and yeah agile continues to be a very um, highly focused on method delivery methodology where you try and bring people together and you solve problems as a team and yeah certainly when um, Jed and I have worked in other organizations yeah we would have a team of developers users testers all together the sort of pandemic has made that more difficult so therefore driving more well, let's just get one person to do it let's just get the the citizen developer to have the problem have the tools and develop the solution themselves and you sort of get the the ultimate agile it's not only in one team the whole thing end to end is in one person yeah no that um that makes sense so um sort of talked about what these technologies are how how we got to the place we are today what and we've sort of touched upon these, but in, in a little bit more detail, what are the main benefits you see of low and no code? And where where do you envisage uh, where do you envisage it could go in the future? Not sure who wants to start with that kind of horrendously broad topic. <laughs> well, I think I think there's maybe a couple of several perspectives. One might be from the customer's point of view. So Keith might you know talk about what what he's expecting from a from a client value point of view and then you know Jason and I might actually talk you know the benefits from a delivery point of view I don't know whether that's yeah I mean I guess I'm sort of in a, an interesting position of um, in some senses being a, a client um, but also being a technologist who understands that what most clients might expect and want is actually quite difficult to achieve so um, my view in terms of I my own personal feeling is that low code and no code solutions um, will be able to deliver um, for end clients in situations where there's a relatively standardized service or output required with a relatively limited number of um, options variability so that some of the examples we talked about with websites and um, online shops etc that i think it absolutely can deliver really good results exactly as it is intended to in those sorts of situations um, where you have very bespoke complex processes i think where i've seen people get into problems is they start off down a low code route and then very quickly, when you hit the complexities, you 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 reach the boundaries and you start getting into the detailed bespoke um, bespoke development. So, 
in summary, I think it will just continue to mature along the lines we've seen already, which is with low variability solutions being the sweet spot. But ultimately, if you've got a complex, in some cases, unique problem to solve, then we'll be back to the professional software developers helping develop a solution. Jason, any, any thoughts? Yeah, I think um, one of the areas that excites me greatly is the um, sort of the data science and, and the mm -hmm. machine learning and um, the level of complexity involved in that and the level of understanding required would require an enormous degree of dedication and commitment to, to learn. You know, it's a, it's a whole nother career, I think. But with the advent of the low code and um, automated machine learning and so on, it, it offers me the opportunity to engage with some of that technology and some of those methodologies in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to maybe a year or two ago. Um, you know, Microsoft in Azure is offering all kinds of um, self-learning machine learning. So you, you configure it, it will try out lots of different models for you and present the best option for you to use. So I don't, and you know, whilst I'm under no illusion that will be the maybe the best outcome, it would certainly give me an in and demonstrate value of you know using those and perhaps then move on to engaging a specialist who can come in and fine tune those things. But that would be an unthinkable for mm -hmm. me maybe a year or two ago. So from a developer perspective, having these tools, you know, it allows me to expand my repertoire, allows me to take on many more challenges than I would have been able to and really um, engage and, and develop new skills and keep a, a really strong interest in this technology area. You don't feel like you're siloed into one particular you know, BI report development, I can now drag in all kinds of other interesting technologies and uh, methods into my work, which, you know, keeps it fresh and interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, just picking up on Keith's point, you know, low code just covers a subset of the end-to-end -end activities that you need to to solve in order to deliver valuable solutions. So the, the whole issue of identifying what the business need is in the first place and then understanding what kind of solution might uh, might meet that need and and you know then getting at the other end the, when you built it the adoption and ensuring that the value is actually realized you know th these are tricky problems and and low code might offer some advantages in terms of collaboration and people understanding you know better understanding the 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 landscape but but they they don't it doesn't solve the hard you know uh, business problems that that that, uh, that 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 still remain so i think you know uh, you you can't assume that low code is a silver bullet to all of these things you have to come up with a, a structure uh in which to to work to get the the benefits of of low code and and uh make sure that you are addressing all of those remaining problems yeah, let's um sorry Keith you were about to... yeah I was just going to sort of maybe expand on that a little bit as well because um yeah there's so as Jed said you know understanding the business problem and designing the solution is all you know a, a really important part of the delivery software delivery process which has nothing to do with coding it's the, the, the upfront piece of work which 
you know whether it's a low code solution or not doesn't change so yeah there needs to be skill that there needs to be skills in that area as well but also then when you design your solution um, i think for lots of the things that low code is aimed at um, things like you know performance and extensibility so am i creating something which when requirements change is going to be easy to change you know most of the things that low code is aimed at those aren't problems for so so it's not an issue but if you start trying to use low code uh, to build an application that might scale to 50 times the volume that it's currently getting you know there is skill in designing the solution in a way which is going to be extensible and you know so there are all those sorts of things where um yeah and now i'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who in the past has had uh end users developing software in low code tools and then as it got tricky because volumes are going up and the low code solution started behaving in a less than optimal way being handed over to those guys in technology to to look after so yeah i, I do think you have to look at the whole problem you're trying to solve and say is a low code solution the right one for this type of problem yeah so this um it's certainly by no means the panacea and like with with many things we've discussed on the podcast before it, it gets the idea of fundamentally understanding the problem before you just try and uh blanket cover assume that low or no code technology or because it's a air quotes buzzword will will be able to solve solve all your problems do you do you foresee that being being sort of the main issue with its um with its application in possibly in financial services or in in other industries that people are going to rush to use it without really understanding whether it's uh whether it's applicable or without necessarily having the the planning afterwards to ensure it can be maintained successfully well, well, I wonder actually whether by include involving more and different functions in in the whole conversation, whether actually it might be a catalyst for that kind of cross-functional collaboration. You know, there was an article, and uh, Keith and I, you know, our background is J.P. Morgan. I remember seeing an article a couple of years ago that J.P. Morgan was looking to teach its uh, non-technology staff coding skills as a as a way of you know uh, focusing on problem solving and analytical skills etc so i you know i think there's a there's a massive mm -hmm. opportunity for cross-functional uh collaboration and if the low code platform can be a, a catalyst to that then you know then hopefully it will start to break down some of those problems that as agile and uh, iterative uh, 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 solution processes make include increase the velocity that, that you are able to, to to deliver then maybe also it will pervade into other functions and you'll get more uh uh so sort of synergies and and uh collaboration adding value you you know using the low code platform to add value mm -hmm. so uh so in many ways like all things it's uh, it's people like me who are standing in the way of true progress you're a uh, you're layman. Um, so have there been any, you talked there, uh, Jed, about the example of that story you heard about JP Morgan uh, a few years ago. Have there been any other notable examples? We've talked a little bit about 
uh, the sort of template website builders. Um, have there been any sort of notable examples that people might have heard of where these kind of technologies have been applied that uh, people might not even realise? Well, the one, the one that going back to the the subject of the pandemic, the one that I was uh, struck by is in the first few days of the pandemic. Obviously, everyone was interested in data, and and you know getting data from public uh, sources and and analysing that, but also in delivery of uh, whether it be. Uh, local health services, that sort of thing. I remember reading that, that New York State had, within a few days, come up with an application that was available to all people within the state to, you know, to to to, to avail themselves of of services. So, you know, that, that's that's to me been the most notable example recently of people using these platforms to deliver uh, solutions order of magnitude quicker than perhaps they would have been done ten, you know, five or ten years ago. Yeah, I think um, one of the other examples that stands out, and it's it's a relatively uh, simple tool, but it's a room booking and desk booking system that was released recently for Teams. They uh, you know through the, the Teams platform, and it was a low-code uh, booking system to enable a safe return to work and to help organisations um, facilitate the return and allow room bookings and desk bookings. And that was, I believe, put together very rapidly in response to the part of Microsoft's work to try and help companies get people back into the office in a in a controlled and safe manner, without having to spend a lot on um, these sort of tools that might be provided. So I think those are, you know, people are being quite creative and imaginative with um, deploying applications rapidly uh, to try and assist with those sorts of issues that have been thrown up by the pandemic. I mean, there was also the example, you know, you could almost say that Excel is the ultimate low code, you know, certainly in terms of um, uh, the extent to which end users use it as a tool to help them do business processes. Um, there are a couple of examples there, obviously, again, going back to the whole pandemic, um, and somebody will probably correct the details here, but you know, there was an issue that the UK government found out about reporting the stats for number of infections or testing. Um, and it's because they're using a version of Excel that had a limit on the number of rows and, and they were collecting more data than the rows and so missing big chunks of data out. And again, that's you know partly through rushing to get a solution in quickly um, and not going through uh, what you might um, term the proper steps in a design process. And again, another one that comes to mind for me thinking of Excel as one of the widest, most widely spread used low-code environments. Um, again, in the past, you know, I was looking after a, a large chunk of platforms for a bank. Um, end users wanting to not have to go through the long and sometimes slow and costly internal software build process will be doing stuff on spreadsheets those spreadsheets then become part of the business critical process and the regulators will then come along and say well hang about you've got a critical part of your process you've got no backup and recovery you've got no performance testing um and then suddenly there's a big problem because you've um, embedded some of these low code tools into your critical business processes and you haven't thought about all the 
the, the things around it that you need to to, to support those. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think even before the the increase over the last two or three years in these platforms, you, you probably had tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, separate little applications in across all of these banks and you know hopefully as the, as the way of delivering that moves to more to a, a, a transparent low code platform then it might be easier for the governance to take place you know the technology mm -hmm. departments might understand how these things are linked together and data lineage might be more transparent there's all sorts of benefits that might come from moving all of this work into a, a more transparent place. Mm -hmm. oh, well, um, I think that's a, it's been a really, really interesting and informative discussion. I think it might have been harder for me to come out of this conversation knowing less about low and no code technology, but I can <laughs> certainly say thanks to you three, I now know more. So um, unless there was anything else anyone wanted to touch upon, before uh, anyone want to leave the listeners with a pearl of wisdom? <laughs> well, well, not necessarily a pearl of wisdom for me, but yeah, I, I just sort of conscious that maybe I've been coming across negative or down about low-code environments. It's absolutely not, or low-code technologies rather. Yeah, they absolutely have a place. And back to a point that Jason raised, you know, I've certainly found in the sort of development I've been doing, it's really, it, it really is advanced and gives you lots of capabilities to plug um, low-code uh, applications and solutions in so they absolutely do have a place they absolutely do can help us advance quickly it's just you know, i would always um suggest that we take caution about it and say okay where is this going to go what am i going to do with it in the future so that i don't end up with a i, I don't forget all the other things around software development the thing I would add is maybe even just to look at the future. It's, easy, it's very easy to list all of the hackneyed low code ideas and benefits and, and as Keith says, the risks. But one of the things that's occurred to us over the last few months is actually that the paradigms are converging, that low code platforms and pro code behaviors are actually converging. And one, mm -hmm. and one of the catalysts for that is actually the, the, the move to the cloud. That the way that you would develop uh, applications in-house has changed uh, in, in the, the technologies that move to the cloud, but also the 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 the, the, the structures and and patterns that you use are different. And I think that really low-code and pro-code practitioners will end up working on the same tools. Uh, you know, maybe different elements of the same tools, but. There is definitely a convergence that all sorts of things that used to be manual, uh, repetitive, low-value activities carried out by professional coders are now being automated, and you know push-button configuration, that sort of thing, and that hopefully that's leaving them enough time to work on higher-value, more creative activities. So I think that you know the 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 next several years will see that continue that convergence continue and m more and more capabilities will be added to the the low code uh, tool set mm -hmm. no well i'm 
I think that's a, that's a perfectly positive note to uh, <laughs> to end our end our discussion on. Um, so my thanks again to uh, to Jason, to Keith, and to Gerald. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your time today, and thank you very much to everyone who has been listening. If you would please be able to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast on your listening platform of choice. And uh, all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you for listening and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.